You're listening to From the Beginning. I'm Jen Dudley. My co-host is Griffin Caprio. This is our podcast talking to other podcasters about how they got started and why they're talking about what they're talking about. In this episode, we're speaking with Allison Manley, creator of the Manly Woman Skatecast, which she hosted for eight years, starting in early 2007, before taking a well-deserved hiatus. This was actually mine and Griffin's first recorded interview for From the Beginning. So we're very grateful to Allison for being our gracious first guest. And despite us still figuring things out, we had a great conversation with Allison about launching a podcast, the world of figure skating, unexpected answers to interview questions, and why she's been itching to get back into the podcast game. Here's Allison's podcast story from the beginning. Allison, thanks for joining us today. To jump right in, why don't you tell us in your own words how you got started with the podcast? Sure, and thank you so much for having me. How I got started was really out of um, boredom in a way. (laughs) I was working freelance at a job. I was doing some very repetitive work uh, for days and days in a row. It was necessary work, but it was very repetitive. And right at that time, 2006, was when iTunes was very new, if not uh, quite new. Uh, I mean, it was was very young, uh, certainly in its infancy, when I was sitting there in front of this Macintosh doing this grunt work over and over for days on end, and I needed something to listen to. And internet radio was also on the newer side, and there were a few stations out there, things to listen to, but podcasting had just come into play. And there weren't a lot of podcasts out there. Um, Some of the major media outlets had them, CNN, um, but even at that time, CNN maybe only had one or two podcasts as opposed to now where, my gosh, they must have a hundred or more. You know, each media outlet has so many for every one of their shows and their hosts. Um, So it it was just a limited amount of listening material. But one of the podcasts that I did latch on to quite early was called Podcast 411, And it was run by a guy named Rob Welsh, and his podcast literally was just about how to create a podcast. And he would interview other people who were interested in audio. Some of them were people who had been in the radio business for a long time and asked them how they got started and what equipment they used and what their show format was and how they enjoyed it and what what obstacles they were facing um, with this new-ish technology. And so I was listening to a lot of these uh, podcast, a lot of these episodes of Podcast 411 and thinking to myself, you know, if I were going to start my own podcast, what would it look like? You know, what, what do I know about? What would I want to share with people? And of course, being a competitive figure skater and interested in figure skating my entire life since the age of six, I thought, well, I could certainly talk about figure skating all day long. And so I decided in 2007, since I had enough context and contacts within the skating community that I would try to interview famous or very influential skating people around the community. One of the benefits of being um, a competitive figure skater yourself is, of course, there are a lot of former Olympians who now coach. You know, if they're not someone that you see on television doing commentary for NBC or ABC or, or another major station, they're usually in the rink passing on their knowledge to the next generation. So I knew quite a few people and thought, you know, I could, I could actually do a couple episodes of this and, and keep it going. 
So serendipitously, right around the time I decided to start my podcast for in earnest, which was January of 2017, the U.S. national championships were on television and they had a guest commentator, someone that didn't come in very often, who happened to be as uh, an Olympian and four-time world champion from Canada named Kurt Browning, who the skating community, of course, will know immediately. Maybe you two aren't as familiar, but um, he was doing his commentary and he said a couple things. He did a fantastic job. Let me say that first. He really was a wonderful commentator, but he did say a couple things that bothered me. So I decided to email him through his fan site and just say, hey, Kurt, well done. I thought you did a great job, but I want to push back on a couple things that you mentioned. And I did it very diplomatically. And because of that, he actually emailed me back directly, which shocked me. (laughs) (laughs) And he said, I can't tell you how much hate mail I got from people because of what I said. There was this one comment that he made about a particular skater. And he said, I got so much hate mail about that one comment, but your comment actually was really diplomatic and and useful and gave me some good feedback. I would love to actually meet you because I'm going to be coming to Chicago to perform in the next Stars on Ice show in March. And I'd love to give you backseat, uh, backstage passes. And I thought, well, sure. You know? <laughs> sure, I'll take that. Sounds great. You know? I'll take that, you know, thank you. And so I decided to be a little bold and say, hey, so I'm starting a podcast about figure skating. Could you be my my premiere episode? Like I, I could start with a bang having Kurt Browning as my first episode. And he he had agreed to this, which meant that I had six weeks to figure <laughs> how out to how do to do it. Podcast. <laughs> nothing like a deadline. And um, nothing like a deadline. So I literally one day went down to the Apple store and said, okay, I made an appointment and I went down to the store and I said, okay, I have all this equipment and I kind of sort of have a general idea of how this works, but you need to help me. And thank goodness I got the right guy who really knew how to do audio and manipulate GarageBand, which at the time, of course, was one of the premier editing softwares available. Now there's many, many more options, but so this lovely gentleman from Apple sat me down, taught me how to do everything. I, I wrote it all out in incredible amounts of granular detail so I wouldn't miss any steps. And I met Kurt Browning and we did an interview and I released it maybe a week later, sometime in mid-March. And I got this huge response. I posted it on the figure skating message boards and all the other places at the time, you know, because Facebook wasn't really a public thing at that point. Twitter wasn't in existence. So I went straight to the figure skating message boards and, oh my God, the comments from all over the world, just, oh my God, I can't believe you interviewed Kurt Browning. I can't believe this, that, and the other. And so I decided to do this monthly. And again, because there were enough Olympians at the rinks, I was able to interview quite a few people. And then of course, as my reputation grew, I started having people's agents reach out to me asking. Oh, nice. So over time, it it really grew. And at the height of it, I think I had 53 countries listening. I couldn't tell you what the total number of downloads was, um, but I it, it really was amazing. I was written up in Skating Magazine. I had a, a, a spread in the magazine about my podcast. I started getting invited to shows because they wanted me to, to mm-hmm. promote the show. And um, so there were some nice perks that came along with it, but I never really made any money. It wasn't really about that. Um, yeah, but that's how I got started was I, I was bored. 
and it was very much in its infancy and um Kurt offered you know <laughs> backstage passes sure no I mean that's phenomenal um it sounds like from the get-go the response from listeners was pretty strongly positive but I mean I mean did you have any idea that you would keep going for as long as you did uh, I had hoped to. Um, yes, so I did. And I actually never intended to stop um, because I felt that just at the time that I needed to stop, which was mainly just because life got in the yeah. way. You know, I was a single mom of two young boys and just got a little bit overwhelmed and something had to give. And that was the easiest thing to give. Mm-hmm. I was really intending on actually trying to make it to the Sochi Olympics. My goal was to keep it going enough that I could raise money to make it over to Russia and do some podcasting on site with some of the more challenging and difficult people to reach. You know, there are some of the world's most amazing athletes who don't necessarily come to the U.S. You know, they stay training in Russia or Japan or France or wherever it is that their home base is. And uh, I, I don't have as as good access. Right. So I figured mm-hmm. if I could get myself to an Olympics or a world championships and then be able to speak with them, uh, in person, you know, that, that obviously there's a whole new fan base there that would love to talk with them. Do you think it's, um, so do you think it's that, that maybe dedication to the fan base that kept you going for, for eight plus years or what, what would you say that big motivating factor was? I think part of it was definitely pleasing the fans. I mean, your audience is who you want to cater to no matter what business you're in, right? Whether it's building a website or podcasting or selling, uh, you know, clothes or whatever, whatever you do, you're, you want your fan base to, to react positively to it. But part of it was just insatiable curiosity on my part. Um, I really loved talking with all these people, their stories are fascinating to me. Um, there's a lot of similarities to their stories, but there, there's so many differences as well on just how they were able to become who they became within the sport. And not everybody I interviewed, mind you, was an Olympian or a world champion or, or you know, sometimes not even a skater. Sometimes they were the dress designer. Sometimes they were um, the choreographer. Sometimes they were the parent of a skater who never intended on getting their daughter or son into this crazy mess. And here they were, you know, <laughs> and, and what it was like to carry that burden for their child and keep them going. Um, so it, it's sort of a fascinating cross section of humanity on how to achieve excellence in your way. And that's what I really enjoyed about it was just learning all these stories and how they got there. Yeah. That's, that's interesting. Cause you, it's almost like you never know, uh, who you're going to meet and, and where they're going to be coming into to the skating community from. Absolutely. And they, I will overwhelmingly say as well that I've never met nicer people, truly. I mean, it's the skating community, I think, is one of the most wonderful communities I've ever been privileged to be a part of. I just uh, can't say enough good things about all the people I've met and how helpful they are. And they they just really love the sport. And if they find someone who's enthusiastic about the sport, they are willing to bend over backwards to help you out. So we're, so it's, it's really interesting to, to follow you from kind of the cubicle into, um, you know, kind of jumping into the podcast. What do you think you did 
really well uh, from a podcasting standpoint or even from a storytelling standpoint? And what do you think your unique contribution to that was? That's a great question. I, I'm certainly no amazing technician when it comes to creating the podcast. Uh, at the time when I first started, of course, GarageBand was the only option and it worked for me. So I believe it or not, I never switched. <laughs> I never got off of GarageBand. And when I started going to podcaster conferences later on in my podcasting career, people were shocked to learn that I was still using it when there were so many other more superior tools at that point. But for me, it was sort of, if it ain't broke, don't fix it. You know, um, I had never gotten complaints about my audio quality. So I stuck with what I knew. Um, I had bought quality mics from the beginning and uh, continued on that path. And what I really think my greatest contribution was, was my ability to glean stories out of my subjects, if you will, and making them feel comfortable to speak freely. I made a point of only speaking with people who had already retired from the amateur side of things. They were already professionals. And the reason I did that was because so many amateur skaters are still under the thumb of their federation for good and bad reasons, right? There's many excellent reasons why uh, they the federation will not want a 15-year-old, of course, speaking to the media, right? If you're going to consider me the media. Right. And they... There are great reasons for that, some of them which are safety, you know, reasons. So, but because a lot of the time they're minors, they also, they don't know their career quite yet. They don't have the context to be able to look back on their career and say, oh, these choices I made and how, how do I fit into the larger context of what's happening on the skating world uh, global scale, you know, they, they're so young, they don't have that context. So by choosing to focus on skaters who had already retired or who had longer careers, it was, a, I felt it was a much more interesting discussion because they didn't feel hamstrung by uh, any politics within the Federation. They didn't feel if they said something negative that they were going to get some sort of repercussion in some way or a lot of backlash from fans um, they were really able to just open their hearts up and, and tell it like it was. And also they were mellow about it because again, age mellows all of us. I think <laughs> as I get older, I realize this myself and we're, we are able to sort of have the perspective that we need to, um, to understand our, our place in the world. And that's, so that's where I thought it was really fascinating was, was I, Someone called me, and I've been I've now been called this several times, but someone called me the Terry Gross of figure skating, which I don't know if you're familiar with Terry Gross from Fresh Air. Yeah, um, yeah, definitely. Wow, yeah. that's a huge compliment. It was a huge compliment. And I really, I really love that compliment because one of the things that I think Terry does so well is that she makes her subjects comfortable enough to really share. And that's what I feel I did very well. It sounds like there was definitely a community in that space that was both wanting to tell their stories. And also the audience there that was really excited to hear those stories. You had talked about the limitations from more mainstream media reporters. And in some ways you were seen in that light, kind of the reporter interviewer status. But do you think there was something about using the podcast medium itself that helped people open up and be a little bit more free as you were talking to them than with the traditional media? Yes. 
Um, it's interesting because even though I was considered part of the media and I would get press passes to cover events, I never covered the news, right? That wasn't my purpose. My purpose was to cover history. I was basically a skating historian, whereas other members of the media who were doing anything, whether it was written or audio, they were covering the event itself. And they would say, you know, this skater landed these jumps, they got this score. Um, and they were doing the play-by-play -play of the event as it happened. What I was doing was trying to capture history. So I think what I think what was beautiful about my podcast was that it's timeless. Um, you can go back and listen to any one of those episodes and it doesn't seem stale because it's someone telling their life story and talking about their work. I feel that some of the play-by-play the -play stuff is incredibly exciting and ne absolutely necessary, 1,000% necessary when it happens. But I don't know if you go back to it five years later as often, you know, to review it. And so I think, I think that's what I was able to offer was that there was this insatiable appetite from the fan base and from me as well to hear the stories that all these people had to tell because after a certain point, if they're not competitive anymore, they're ignored. You know, nobody necessarily wants to know what the 1972 Olympic bronze medalist, you know, is doing. Right. But when but what the medium of podcasting offers is time, right? You can pause it, you can rewind, you can fast forward. When you have print, there's editing, severe editing in some cases, because they're trying to fit, you know, certain number of words in a certain column size. But with podcasting, you can go as long as you want. The shortest podcast I think I did was 35 minutes and the longest was two hours. I had to break it up into two because it was so long. I knew that people couldn't download two hours. I had, I had to be cognizant of their bandwidth on their mobile phone, you know? Um, so I think that was the beauty of it was that I could let the subjects really embellish as much as they wished and they could really tell their stories in full and you could get so much more detail than you could from a magazine article where it was edited for space. I didn't have that limitation. There was no, I wasn't beholden to any a magazine or boss that told me I had to limit it to a certain amount of time. It was literally as long or as short as I needed it to be. Yeah. And I think, one, you know, one of the reasons of, of, you know, Jen and I liking to dive, uh, to dive into the podcasting is that it's a, such an intimate medium. Mm -hmm. um, and, you know, you mentioned that you were, you know, you were called the Terry Gross of, of skating, building up that trust with someone who you may have just met or just gotten to know is, is difficult. Did you have any sort of uh, go-to interview questions or favorite interview questions that you thought were especially appealing to people to kind of help build that trust or to help open them up and get them talking about, about their story? Yes, I did. My very first question, which was my icebreaker, and, and it almost blew up in my face from the get-go, was I would ask everybody, what is your most embarrassing skating moment on ice or off ice? And the reason I asked that was because some of these people that I was interviewing, of course, are very much held up on a pedestal in the skating world, very much so. And what we all have to remember is we're all human. We all fall down. We all make mistakes. We all do things that are hilarious, you know. So I wanted to sort of bring the humanity back right from the beginning. And it was a bit of a disarming question as well, because I think people of that caliber are expected to be asked about all the medals they've won and all the 
you know, incredible achievements they've had. And by, by asking them right from the beginning, what's your most embarrassing on ice or off ice moment? <laughs> they kind of go, uh, you know, <laughs> <laughs> and, but the way, the way it almost shot me in the foot from the beginning was that I will say that 90% of the answers I got over the course of my podcast were absolutely hilarious in some way. But the very first one, which was of course the Canadian skater, Kurt Browning, here, here I am with my very first podcast with, with this amazing guy who was known in the skating world to be one of the most hilarious people out there. So I thought this was a great question to ask because I thought, well, Kurt will give me something really juicy and funny and, and, you know, everyone will be laughing from the beginning. And so I asked him this question and he took a long sigh and he just said, well, I think it was at my last Olympics when I fell on the ice and I fell right on top of the Olympic rings painted on the ice. And I looked down and I said, Oh, I've disappointed Canada again. Oh, no. <laughs> and I just, I had a hard time recovering. From that. <laughs> That's not the tone I was expecting. No. And it wasn't what I was expecting either at all. And I just thought, oh my God, it's literally within the first minute of this podcast and I've already depressed the guy. <laughs> But I got some amazing answers. I mean, once I, you know, we got through it, it was a good interview. And and then over time, the answers just got hilarious. I mean, I had so many wardrobe malfunctions. I had uh, wigs put on backwards. I mean, it was pretty amazing what people came up with. Yeah, especially you're, you're under such a short amount of time. And, and the actual time that you're on the ice is so small that like any little mistake becomes you know, that much more memorable because it, it's, there's so much pressure there. Right. And there are TV cameras capturing yeah. all of it. So, you know, doing, you know, transitioning a little bit to, to how you were creating the podcast, you know, you were talking about garage band and if it's not broke, don't, don't fix it. And, um, what would you say that were the parts of editing and creating and recording and distributing the podcast that, you maybe didn't enjoy as much or you would have, you would have handed over to someone else. Oh, I definitely would have handed over the editing to someone else. Although I'm not sure I could have, to be honest. Uh, mm -hmm. I, cause there were certain things that I just wanted a certain way. Right. But I think what I did hand over to someone else, which was actually incredibly helpful. And if I do start the podcast up again, which I would love to do, I will do this again, was that I handed over the, transcription to someone else. Mm. I had a fan who is based in Canada, a number a, a wonderful woman named Fiona who offered to transcribe all the podcasts so that those who couldn't download them to listen could at least read the interview. And she retroactively went back over time and transcribed all of them. And the benefit, of course, that she got out of this was that she got to hear the podcast before anyone else, right? Because as soon as that podcast was done, before I'd even edited it, I would send it off to her and say, okay, here it is. And she got to be the first one to hear it in its raw state. And she would do the transcription while I was doing the editing so that by the time I was done, she was done. And then when I posted it, they were both there together. Um, and that was incredibly helpful. And that was, that was really the only thing that I outsourced. Would I love to have help with producing and editing? Absolutely. I would not turn that down, but I, I can't say I regret doing the editing myself. And I, I, I didn't hate it. I, it wasn't my favorite part. My favorite part was sitting down with people and talking with them, of course, but. Yeah, definitely. Did you, 
when you look at kind of like the broader ecosystem, did you do anything kind of outside of um, posting to the, um, you know, the ice skating forums? Did you, um, you know, uh, go into any of the social networks over a period of time or did you try and engage the larger podcast community at all? I did. I did eventually move the hosting of my website over to Libsyn, which did help engage the larger podcasting community. I had it tagged as a sports podcast. I did enter a short version of one of my podcasts into a contest where I got some good feedback, although I wasn't ultimately chosen, and that was fine. Um, I did end up doing... um, have you ever heard of Picha Kucha? Oh, yeah. Is that like the five-minute rapid-fire presentation? Yes. Yes. It's actually six minutes, I believe. And yeah. Okay. Rapid, yeah, that's right. Yeah, it's a six-minute rapid-fire presentation. And so I gave one on life lessons from figure skating. And it had a, a whole accompanying slideshow. And a lot of that was very much based on all the work I had done with the podcasting because there are as I mentioned earlier, there are some very common threads that run through all of the interviews that I did just to, uh, that are really life lessons of, of what figure skating and sports, of course, can offer. But there are some particular lessons from skating, I think, as opposed to other sports. And um, But I really did focus initially, of course, on the figure skating message boards. And then once Facebook became more public and open. Facebook was another great avenue. Once Twitter became a thing, I started promoting on Twitter. And then it was really, at that point, it would just take off on its own. You know, I would post it to my site, which was a WordPress site, and people who had subscribed to the site would get it immediately. They would have it downloaded to their phone automatically. um, And then I would put it out on the various channels and it would sort of take off from there. So you mentioned that you moved it, your hosting over, I'm assuming from the WordPress site over to Libsyn? I did, yes, at one point. And you said that that increased uh, the engagement? I, I forget how you actually phrased that, but you oh, said you saw kind of like an uplift in that? Well, it was mainly just the exposure to non-skating people. Gotcha, gotcha. How do you think the, the jump to Libsyn helped that exposure? I wouldn't say it was anything greatly significant, but then again, I didn't concentrate very heavily on that area. I wasn't necessarily doing this to try to get the average football fan to listen to a skating podcast, right? That wasn't really my, that wasn't really my goal. I wasn't thinking someone who was interested in basketball was all of a sudden going to be interested in, you know, in figure skating or ice dance or pairs. Um, It was, but it was, I, I did sort of casually watch the numbers go up on Libsyn, which again, had not really been available to me before. And they weren't anything incredibly significant, but it was just fascinating to see how many more people were listening who were not traditional skating fans at all, but it wasn't significant. So Allison, I imagine over those eight years, you probably saw podcasting change quite a bit in general. Significantly, yes. And then certainly adding in social media with that. What would you say was the biggest shift you saw during those eight years? Oh God, I would just say the sheer volume of them. I I mean, truly, when I, as I said, when I started listening to podcasts in 2006, there just weren't that many. Um, And really the only way to hear them was iTunes, which itself was so new. Now, of course, you have all these apps and channels and 
uh, I mean, thousands and tens of thousands of podcasts. Mm-hmm. I mean, there's so many ways to get the, everybody's got a podcast. I mean, even if you have another avenue for a show somewhere else, you still turn it into a podcast, <laughs> right. right? I mean, it's, yeah. it's kind yeah. of incredible. Um, but I guess what, what does surprise me as well is that there really isn't another figure skating podcast. There, there were a few that tried a couple episodes here and there, but it never really stuck. Mm-hmm. So I've, I'm pretty sure it's been a while since I've done it, but I'm pretty sure that when you Google figure skating podcast, I'm still the one that comes up, even though I haven't done it in a few <laughs> years. <laughs> um, but yeah. And then of course the other big change that is really in my court is that I need to update my horribly outdated website, but someday, you know, cobbler's kids have no shoes. <laughs> right. Exactly. Um, but there's still quite a ton of content on your website. I think you're probably selling yourself a bit short. You, you had talked about going into different areas and posting on Twitter and talking to sponsors and running contests. So it seems like you were starting to build a brand around the manly woman skatecast was building that whole ecosystem and brand, um, around the podcast, always the vision. I was. And in the early days of my podcast, I did run contests because I did want to try to raise some money for all the effort that I was putting in um, just to get some sort of compensation back. And so I would raffle off all sorts of things. Um, I think the very first one was a skating friend of mine actually has property in Park City, Utah, a timeshare. So I raffled off a timeshare, you know, and it was, you know, if you donate at least $5, you'll be entered in the raffle, that sort of thing. Other skate manufacturers would donate boots. I got donated um, dresses, um, different things that a skating fan base would be interested in, you know, tapes, um, DVDs, things of that nature. Um, I actually got hand slapped by PayPal <laughs> for doing it because I don't know if PayPal's changed their rules since, but at the time they weren't allowed to do raffles via PayPal. So that was, oh, interesting. yeah. So that I did get hand slapped by them eventually because I was using PayPal. Again, remember, you have to remember this is 10 years ago. So, yeah. um, so then I just strictly asked, asked for donations at the end of every podcast. And sometimes I got some because there were some people who recognized the effort. But really for me, it was, it was such a joy and a pleasure to do and to meet people. Um, I did often because I got press passes to go to events, you know, I didn't have to buy tickets to go to events. I would still have to get myself there, you know, of course, but I didn't have to pay entry fees or ticket prices to go. Um, and then I could do interviews with whoever I needed to do them with and whoever I had arranged with in advance. You clearly have such a passion for the space. And you mentioned earlier, you know, it's something that you would like to get back into knowing that obviously time and family and kids and all of those things are big factors in the decision. Is there something that would get you back into podcasting? (laughs) Time. (laughs) It's really, that's really it for me. Uh, There's, it's such a joy. Uh, The one thing I am sad about, and I knew this would happen, was that when I had to hang up my mic for a time as, to put it, you know, (laughs) in concrete terms, I had to hang up the microphone. I knew that what would happen or, or was a strong possibility of what would happen was that some of the people I really wanted to interview would pass away. And, you know, a lot of the people that I was trying to interview were much older. 
and harder to reach, you know, just because of geography, mostly. And there were three people in particular that I still to this day sort of kick myself and go, oh, they've all since passed away. And if only had I had had the bandwidth and the time to interview them, because I just think their stories would have been amazing. One of them was from Germany. Another one was from Czechoslovakia, but lived in New York. The other one was from Russia, but lived in New York. And all three of them have passed away in the past four years. And so that that sort of gets me a little bit. And one of the reasons I'm antsy to get back to it is because I don't want that to happen again. I don't want to hear about another figure skating legend passing away and thinking, oh, if only I'd gotten an hour of them in front of a microphone, what what stories they could have told us. So that's one of my driving motivations right now is to uh, just get back in front of the mic and preserve those stories. Because that's what I think is so fascinating about the podcast medium and, and as opposed to reading text yeah. is that you hear their voice, right? And the inflection mm-hmm. and the emotion and the excitement that they tell their stories with. Mm-hmm. And I that's the part that I think is most fascinating is that you hear it from them. And then, of course, I can ask a follow-up question if they say something and I say, well, wait a minute, can you expand on that a little bit? Because that doesn't make sense or I don't understand, you know, and mm-hmm. and they really get this, they get the space yeah. to be able to tell it the way that it deserves to be told, right? So that's that's why I think podcasting, for what I'm doing, for such a narrative, uh, con- for such narrative content, I think podcasting is the way to go. Yeah, and it's interesting because that's, you know, it's completely counter to what people think and what the t- traditional media narrative is, you know, these days. You know, the the content narrative is, well, people's attention spans are getting shorter yes. and smaller <laughs> and you need to make it quicker and, and ever faster in 24 hours. And it's really interesting, the the point that you bring up, I think, is a, is a fascinating one. It's, you know, you the, the longer and the more in-depth and the more engaging and the more intimate the bigger the response that you had and the more fun you had. Isn't that fascinating? You know, it's exactly the yeah. opposite of conventional wisdom. It's the paradox of what I'm doing because I I think it's amazing how in my day job, I know that we need to label all the content as this is a four minute read. You can scan this in four minutes, you know, but, but with what I'm trying to do, I'm trying to do preservation in a way. And preservation requires the time. And But I do think what podcasting does allow you to do is if you only have 20 minutes, but the interview is an hour, you can, of course, pause it and come back. I can't, I think it's, I think what's remarkable too, is I can't tell you how many of my fans have listened to the interviews multiple times. I've had people come up to me and say, oh, well, I really needed something to listen to on this road trip. So I spun up all your podcasts for the third time as I drove across the country. And I just go, wow, you know, like I, I think wow. I've only listened to them once, yeah. you know, they, they tell me details about podcasts that I've forgotten because my brain can only hold so much, but it's, you know, it's, so it, it's amazing to me how, yes, we live in this world of just rapidity and fast motion. And yet these are sort of this, um, time in a bottle, right? Mm-hmm. It's, it's, uh, it's really incredible. Yeah. It- Especially when you find that really niche community that you have with figure skating, where you have those really dedicated fans, which I think is also one of the things that is so interesting about podcasting, in addition to just the power, as you said, of the spoken word and people telling their own stories. 
it's pretty powerful. Yeah, and I and that's why I say what I do is so different from the play-by-play stuff, right? There are some amazing journalists, skating media members out there who do the play-by-play work, and that stuff is very quick read because if there's a competition going on, you know, these skaters are on the ice every 7 minutes, right? So the whole purpose of that is to be quick and and those media guys and girls own Twitter. They are able to tweet very quickly, they're able to get that content out very fast. And what I'm doing is way on the other end of the scale. I am slowing everybody down. <laughs> you know? That's so. awesome. Uh, so I will be very surprised if I don't hear of you having restarted the podcast or a different one. Obviously, the time and the investment that you put into researching the guests and the interview itself and the time you spend editing those episodes and... Uh, those pieces are just inherent to the amount of time it takes to create the kind of podcast you're wanting to do. Is there anything you can think of that you've, or that you've heard of over the last couple of years that would make it easier or you hope would make it easier to get started again? Oh gosh. I don't know if anything would necessarily make it easier. I mean, I do think some of the like the the tool we're using right now for this interview, Zencaster, I think is a huge improvement over what I was using to do the audio capture when you're not able to be face-to-face with someone. But of course, the audio quality is better if you can be face-to-face with someone. So I always strove towards getting to interview the person one-on-one um, in the same room. So, but the amount of time it takes me to do my research, I don't know if that's ever going to change. You know, that's that's something that I need to be able to put in the time to read about them and watch their videos so I can ask the right questions. You know, there, there might be videos going back to the 40s, 50s, 60s, 70s that I, I, have to, I have to watch them to be able to get the full breadth of their career and to form the, the questions the way that I need to. I'm not sure I can make that quicker. I know that I did uh, time it once. And there's an article on my website or, um, there's a section on my website where I actually say that I did the math and figured out that it takes me 10 to 14 hours a month to do one episode. And that was pretty average. You know, if I knew a lot about someone's career, obviously it was closer to 10 hours. If it was someone I didn't know a lot about, I, I definitely needed the extra four. Wow. So any, uh, and I think we'll start to wrap up here cause I know you have a, uh, her slab. Any additional recommendations or advice you give someone to uh, starting a podcast today, given kind of like all your years of experience? (laughs) Don't hesitate. If there's something you really want to talk about, talk about it. It does not have to be perfect when you start. My first episode surely was not perfect. Like I said, the first minute I, (laughs) my first question bombed, but I persevered. And, uh, and, and I think, I think if you love it, just get it out there and learn as you go. To me, it's a very agile process where it, it's, uh, it's most important to just get your ideas out and then you can tweak as you go along. So I just would encourage anyone who really has a topic that they want to share to just start sharing it. Well, I think that'll be all for, for the interview today. Allison, I wanted to thank you and, and, uh, thank you for your time and, and your story and your background. And this has been a, a great uh, discussion and we're really happy to have had you uh, uh, on the podcast today. 
Thank you so much. You're you're inspiring me to now go out and start scheduling a bunch of new interviews. <laughs> <laughs> well, I uh, so I, can't... I can't wait to hear or to um to see you back in the podcast list. And thanks for talking with us today. Thank you. I appreciate that. 